Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your copy of scriptures, please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. We'll be looking at uh, the first uh, nine verses there of chapter 3. So let me read for us. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you again that you have gathered us in your name this morning, another Sabbath that you've given to us to renew us, to uh, uh, reignite our hearts for the gospel. And we pray that you do that now through your word, by your spirit, that you give us uh, hearts that are ready to receive and ears that are ready to listen. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Walking Dead. So I know for some of you, you're smiling because you love that show. And others of you are like, why did he just say that? That's really weird. So if you've been living under a rock for the past four or five years, and you're unfamiliar with this show, it's a post-apocalyptic horror drama where the world is dominated by flesh-eating zombies. All right. Now, there's a small group of, of, of survivors in this show that are living in the aftermath of all this, and the plot focuses primarily on this group and their dilemmas that they face as they struggle to maintain their humanity in the midst of a chaotic world. So throughout the episodes, you see them wrestling with questions. And a lot of the times, it's, it's pretty much the same theme, which is why I stopped watching it, because it just gets so old. But, but throughout the episodes you're, you, episodes, you're seeing them wrestling with these questions. How do we survive? How do we, how do we actually live a, a, each day? What is the right way to live life right now in the midst of this world that is, is completely lawless? And how do we remain fully human in the process, literally? Well, we have the same questions, don't we? I mean, yeah, we're not being chased by flesh-eating zombies day in and day out, but we do live in a world where the brokenness of our society is thrust upon us at every turn. And we are faced with the reality of sin and brokenness in far-off lands, in our own homes, and especially in our own hearts. So we all know the feeling of being overwhelmed and fearful by sin and the brokenness of our world. 
So we too are asking a question. How do we, how do I live faithfully as a believer to the gospel in the difficult times or the terrible times of these last days? And I believe our passage that we just read answers this question for us in three ways. One is to know your place. Know where you are right now in space and in time. Okay, it's an important answer there. Secondly, know your enemy. Know who you're up against. And then third, know your hope. So know your place, know your enemy, and know your hope. And over and over again throughout this letter, we see a pattern that Paul is communicating to Timothy. Okay, so you see similar phrases. Sometimes in your life group, you may feel like you're, you're kind of repeating yourself to your group uh, and reminding e- each other of the same things. But this is exactly Paul's point. So in chapter one, we see, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Keep the pattern of sound teaching. Guard the gospel. And then in chapter two, similar phrases, be strong in the gospel. Entrust the gospel to faithful and reliable men. Endure hardship. Remember Jesus Christ and his work. Keep reminding the church of the faithfulness of God. Avoid godless chatter, pointless conversations. Flee evil and pursue righteousness. Why does Paul tell Timothy all of these things over and over and over again? And I believe partly is to set Timothy up for these nine verses that we just read. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, take all that I have taught you, take all that you have learned and apply it to your work because terrible times are here and they will continue to be here. And it's going to be really hard. Now notice, Paul is not telling Timothy to run and hide and just hold on until Jesus comes back but he's telling him to move forward in the gospel by knowing his place, knowing where he is, knowing his enemy, and most importantly, knowing his hope in the gospel. So know your place. Look at verse one again. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So what are these last days and when will they happen? Now, The last days that Paul is referencing here are not some days that are in the far off future that you may have read in a left behind novel uh, when you were a kid or yesterday. But these these are in times that are happening right now in the church in Ephesus. This is happening right now in Timothy's presence. And so we look back at the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 because he tells us of this reality in his sermon at Pentecost. And he quotes from the prophet Joel who says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then we see in Hebrews chapter 1 the same things, a reference to the last days. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So what we learn from the prophet Joel and the author of Hebrews is that the end times were initiated by the giving of the spirit. So right there in the book of Acts, 
when Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, I will send, my, I will send the helper who is the spirit among you. And that's when the end times or the last days are initiated. And they'll continue on until Jesus returns. So, that means, like Paul and like Timothy and like the early church and all of those who came after, after them, that means that our place in the story is in these last days. We're swimming in the exact same stream as our forefathers were. And so we can no longer say the end is near. We have to say the end is here among us. And we must be ready to face what we find in the midst of it. So Paul's declaration of the last days is not meant to send us running and hiding either. Because if Christ has won you, you are now a useful instrument made for his work, just like David taught us last week uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You are a useful instrument made for his work, and you can be confident that God will use you to bring the light of the gospel to bear on a fallen and broken world as we move forward as a church in the gospel. You can be confident in that, even in these last days. Now, not only does Paul remind us of our place, he also wants us to know who we're dealing with. Who are our enemies? How do we recognize those who are so utterly opposed to the gospel? And then what do we do with them? What do we do with them? So look with me at verses two through eight again as I read them. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to, arrive, to, to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the truth is concerned, are rejected. Now, the typical last day's pulse seems to always be taken by these natural disasters and famines across the world and and wars and rumors of wars. And my personal favorite, because I Googled this yesterday, is an increase in vegetarians. Bet you didn't know that one. So all you vegetarians out there, thanks a lot. Um, But anyways, Jesus does mention in Matthew 24 these things, not the vegetarian thing, but he does mention natural disasters and wars and rumors of war, and you can be sure that those things will happen because Jesus said they would. But more often than not in the Bible, people are used to gauge the last days. Even in Matthew 24, Jesus says that false prophets false preachers will come into our midst and try to deceive the church. That's their job. Then you look in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Peter 3, both speak of people in the last days. 
And then in 1 John 2, John, the apostle John goes as far to call these people the Antichrist. The Antichrist have come among you, people who are just completely opposed to the gospel. And this is the exact same approach that Paul takes here. He begins to talk about people. And when we begin to talk about people, you see this rehearsed in, over and over again in Paul's letters where he will acknowledge people by name whether they're walking in sin or whether they're doing good. He will acknowledge people by name. And so when we begin to talk about people, it gets really, really personal. Because no longer are they just people outside over there like an ISIS terrorist on the other side of the world, but these are people that could be sitting next to you right now. Or people who are living under the same roof as you, your family members. It gets very personal. So how do we know who these people are? We're not going to go through every word mentioned here by Paul in this letter, um, in this list, because you you pretty much can look at it and say, yeah, I know what those mean. But what I I do want to show us from this list is two main characteristics of the types of people we find in the last days. And those are people with a misdirected love and a misdirected religion. So we recognize in verses 2 and 4 of our text that the people that we encounter in the last days are essentially breaking the two great commandments that Jesus gives to us in Mark chapter 12. Okay, so Jesus has approached, teacher, what are the great, what's the greatest commandment in all of the scriptures? Okay, there's a lot of them. And so Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus has just done in answering the question in this way is he's not only summed up the Ten Commandments, he's summed up the entire law in just one swoop. So, when we encounter these people that Paul lists out right here, when they are being lovers of themselves and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, what Paul is saying is these people are utterly opposed to the truth of God's word, to the truth of the scriptures, because they're not loving God with their whole self. And they're definitely not loving their neighbor as themselves. So simply turning love inwards, inward begins to birth all of the other vices that Paul mentions here. So if you want to see these things played out, just begin to be really, really selfish and just love yourself and love pleasure rather than God and other people. So their love is turned away from God and on themselves, and it not only causes difficulty for that particular person, and you begin to see the sin played out in their life, but it also brings difficulty to everything that they touch. Everything. So second, so not only is their love misdirected, but so is their belief system because you worship what you love. You worship what you love. And so you see in verse uh, verse four there um, that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And then you look down at verse 8, these men oppose the truth, they're men of depraved minds, and they're already rejected by the faith. So also recognizing that we are all worshiping something, whether you deny God in the utmost 
or whether you're not. You, we're all worshiping something. We are all religious at some level, okay? And so Paul says that these men have a form of godliness, meaning that these, these men do a lot of the right things. They give their money to the church. They, uh, they worship in the body of believers. They even possibly come and take communion with you when we celebrate it. These people have the form of godliness. And then Paul gives us this great example from uh, the Old Testament, from Exodus chapter 7, when he mentions these two men, Janus and Jambres. This is the only place these guys are mentioned, okay? Their names are not mentioned here in Exodus chapter 7, but Paul makes it very clear that these are men who had a form of godliness, uh, but it wasn't the real thing. Let me just read for us from Exodus chapter 7. When Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh for the first time. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So the Egyptian magicians, they were able to perform a number of these, uh, these plagues that Aaron and Moses were performing. They were able to do that. They had the appearance of God's power, but it wasn't the real thing. It was a fake, and they were representing a false power, an evil power. So what do we do with people who are like this? What do we do with people who have an appearance of godliness but are not godly. And I think it's an interesting observation that Paul does not tell Timothy to pursue these people. Just like I think it's our natural reaction in American evangelicalism that we would probably start a program, an evangelism program, and we would go after these people because they're lost and they need Jesus. And while that's true at some level, this is not what Paul is getting at here. He says, Timothy, what you do with these men who are bringing deceit and taking advantage of these weak women who are weighed down by sin, you are to stay away from them. To stay away from them. And I can tell you as someone who has worked in the church, to do this to people in the body of believers is not a bad thing. It is a hard thing. Don't get me wrong. But it's also a really loving thing as well. It's protecting the flock of God from false teachers and those who would come in to deceive. And so you're making this stark difference clear that this is what we believe the gospel and that it's changing us and it's changing our city and you don't. And what your goal is, is way different than what our goal is. Your goal is, is to bring deceit and dissension while our goal is to bring peace and community in this, for the gospel's sake. So third, and I think most importantly, is that we need to know our hope. Know your hope. Look at verse 9. It's a very subtle thing here that Paul reminds Timothy of, but he says this, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So Paul, he has just given us what appears to be a grim outcome. On first reading of these, of these, uh, these words, it can, be, it can appear very dark. And we could walk out of here saying there is absolutely no hope 
and I'm going to go build a bunker and just live in it until Jesus comes back. Because in our world today, you see it every day, lies seem to be winning. Preachers are rejecting the truth of the scriptures and compromising the gospel every single week to satisfy itching ears. But then we come to verse 9. And these men with their misdirected love and their misdirected belief system, they get far, okay? They will create disruption and destruction in this world and even in the church. But Paul says they won't get very far. Their end will come. And so Paul is reminding Timothy and us that Christ has already won. He says, Timothy, know your hope. Know that Christ, through his life, Death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven has won. Satan is a defeated enemy. He will not win. And you serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that while his heel has been bruised, Satan's head has been crushed. And that is our hope. So as the truth of God triumphed over the tricks of these Egyptian magicians, the truth of the gospel will triumph victoriously over every kind of false doctrine and false teacher in these last days. You have no need to fear because this is our hope. And as you move forward in the gospel by seeking first his kingdom and righteousness, you will be reminded over and over and over again of this great reality that we have as followers of Jesus in the gospel. One of my favorite hymns of the faith is uh, Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which he talks about this this great battle that is happening between the evil one and, and, and the church. And I just want to close by reading the final verse of this hymn as, a, in, in a, as an encouragement for us as the people of God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you again for this reminder that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. And as the church, we march forward in that truth, in the gospel truth, in the midst of a dark and broken world with the light of the gospel. And I pray that we would do that with boldness in the name of Christ. Amen.